Hello and welcome to episode 69 of the So Video Games podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we're playing it, we will be talking about it. Today we are recording on February 13th, 2018. There's a good chance you might be listening to this tomorrow if I get my ass in gear and get it up. So if you are, happy Valentine's Day, because it will be Valentine's Day. My name is Corey Motley. I am a staff writer at GameCritics.com. I'm also 50% of this show. Joining me, as always, is Brad Galloway, who is the editor of Game Critics. How are you doing, Brad? I am doing good, and I'm very excited to be here with you on this sexiest episode of So Video Games. I know we're recording the day before Valentine's Day, and it's episode 69. <laughs> How perfect is that? It's like we planned it. Oh my god, that's actually, little does everybody listening know, but like a year and a half ago when Brad and I set out to start the show, <laughs> we very specifically <laughs> set it up so that this would happen, and it was our plan all along. This has been on the calendar all this time, the fruition <laughs> of our plans is finally here! We made the joke happen, Corey, we made it! Oh my gosh, and the sad thing is that... Um, just as a heads up for listeners, although it might sound like this is going to be some kind of like sexy times show, spectacular, uh, we are actually going to do, or I, mean, I should say we're going to try to do, because I don't know how successful we'll be, we're going to try to do a little bit of a short show today. Uh, Brad and I both have two games to talk about, so we have, or two games apiece, I should say, so four games total. Um, so we still have, you know, pretty much the normal set of games on the docket that we talk about. But I, just as a full disclosure, I have some friends in town right now this week, and it is currently Mardi Gras in New Orleans. So we're going to try to uh, be a little more efficient on the show and speed through things a little bit, um, but still provide you with the best coverage that we can. And uh, so that way I can, like, you know, go hang out with friends and eat and maybe do some Mardi Gras stuff. Um, so just as a heads up, uh, we already recorded the banter section, and it was only like... 15 minutes of banter so if you're one of the people who sticks around at the end of the show for that uh just know that it's not going to be like an hour and a half of usual banter and we're going to try to get through the main show a little bit quicker than usual also so i hope you're not mad if you are i'm sorry we'll be back with a long show next week most likely um how does that sound brad sounds good sounds good you know we we do this show every week because we love doing it and we love our listeners and we like to do it but you know, life happens sometimes. Things come up. You know, work happens. Uh, friends happen. I mean, it, you got you to roll with it. You got to be flexible. Hopefully our listeners will understand and not think too harshly of us for giving them a slightly shorter show this week. Uh, but like you said, still the same top quality stuff, still the same amount of dick jokes, and we will be <laughs> back next week with our usual content. So bear with us. Thanks for your patience, folks, and uh, we better get to it or we're going to run out of time. This is true, uh, but the I mean I now I'm gonna stall for a second, even though uh, we're talking about doing a fast show. the The funny thing for me in the situation is if we do go back to the fruition of the show uh, like a year and a half ago. Um, the funny thing was Brad, and I know you're gonna remember this. Whenever we started the show, our goal for the show was to do like a one hour show every week. Get in, talk about some games, get out, and that's it. And I'm pretty sure our average show length at this point is somewhere between like two and two and a half hours now so we did not hold up on that but let's just pretend like we planned the valentine's day 69 thing and we're going to plan this to be like an original one hour show as well it's funny how things change over time you know you start out with one plan and then by the time you actually get to where you're going it's something totally different <laughs> yeah it's really true <laughs> well i say we roll on sir how about you let's do it and i am so excited 
to hear the first game you're going to talk about tonight. Um, and I hope that you have good things to say about it because I'm really interested in hearing about it. But why don't you jump in and tell us what you've been playing? Okay, so uh, full disclosure, did not have a ton of time to play this. I have not finished it. Uh, but tonight I will be talking about The Fall Part 2 Unbound. Um, so just as a really quick recap, um, you played The Fall, correct, Corey? I did because I had no idea what it was, and I'm pretty sure you talked about it on a show or maybe you like wrote a review for it or something, and it sounded like something that would have been really up my alley, and I played the first one, and I loved it. So I was also under the impression at the time because you had mentioned that the developers were doing like uh, like a I don't know if they were doing like a trilogy or something for this game, but I thought that the fall part two was going to be out like soon after the first fall, and it that was not the case. <laughs> yeah, I didn't do the research, and and you did. Thank you. You're very good about that. But apparently, the fall first came out in 2014, which is a whopping like four years ago. That's which a is a long like, time ago. That is a really long time to wait for a part two. <laughs> and you are correct. They did announce this as a trilogy from the get-go. So I'm like, whoa, dudes, you guys. I mean, I thought Telltale was bad getting their episodes out, but like this is, this is way worse. Yeah, and keep um, in mind that like, you know, for listeners that haven't played this game, The Fall is not a very long game. It's maybe like two or three hours tops, would you say, Brad? Around there if you don't get stuck. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so it's not like they're putting out, you know, they put out like a 30-hour game and they're like, all right, we're going to make a part two. And then that's, you know, it took them four years to do a second game. But I mean, I guess that's a testament to how, uh, I guess, like difficult and uh, sometimes treacherous maybe game development can be. Very true. Very true. So let me give a really quick recap for people who have not played The Fall. And I will say, full disclosure, The Fall is probably one of my favorite sci-fi. I mean, it is like one of the best sci-fi games I've played in probably the last 10 years. I really loved it a lot. I thought it was excellent. Uh, the writing was fantastic. Uh, I just really, really enjoyed it. So if you have not played The Fall, please stop and just go buy that. <laughs> it's literally like two bucks or something these days. Like, it's super cheap. You can find it on pretty much every platform. Uh, really excellent. Don't spoil yourself. Just play play it and get to the end of that. I thought that uh, game was awesome. The Fall, I just loved it, loved it so much. So I was really looking forward to The Fall Part 2, uh, which I will now talk about. Um, so, like I said, I haven't played very much of this, and I'll tell you why. Um so what this is, is a side view 2D science fiction puzzle slash narrative game. Uh, I, uh, I'm really hesitant to talk too much about the story because if you haven't played the first fall, uh, the fall part two totally spoils everything about it, like right at the beginning. So I'm going to try to like dance around it <laughs> uh, because I really want people to play the fall. I think the fall is excellent. It's really outstanding. Um, but I will say that in the fall part two, you play an AI character who is trying to redefine themselves. I mean, if people are familiar with, like, um, you know, the laws of robotics laid out by Isaac Asimov, or if you've watched any AI type of show recently, I mean, something that comes up all the time is that robot characters often have these, like, paradigms or parameters built into them, and so they can do you know, many things, but they can't do certain things. For example, like, you know, may not kill your own creator, or may not allow harm to come to a human being or something like that. So like this, uh, the main character of this game, uh, her name is Arid, A-R-I-D. She is an AI and she is trying to rewrite her own rules uh, because she is in danger of being, um, I, I mean, destroyed, but kind of like reprogrammed or m memory wiped or something. So she doesn't want that to happen. So she's trying to redefine her own behavior so that she will be able to survive, which I think is a really fascinating idea for like an AI game or sci-fi game. I think that premise is wonderful. 
Um, that really ties in strongly to the themes of the fall of the fall part one, which again, awesome game. Go play it, please. Don't spoil yourself. Um, so I've I started the fall part two. Very very excited for this. I've been looking forward to this for quite a while. Um, I wish it came out a little sooner, but that's fine. Uh, and I have to say, it it really got off on the wrong foot with me. Um, oh no! I, I I'm only in the I only finished the first scene, and I you know I'm not very far. But I'll tell you why. Um, so it's a 2D puzzle game, also narrative. But the problem with The Fall Part 2 is that I haven't played the first one in literally, like we just said, four years. So it's been quite a while. And I'm sure that there's going to be plenty of people who see this game and have never played the first fall. So what happens is these developers have fallen into a trap where... Have fallen into oh, a trap? Oh, I'm so good. Didn't even realize I did that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> they <laughs> they have fallen into the trap where, as and I see this all the time. I don't mean to point fingers at them specifically. I believe their studio is called Over the Moon, um, and they're nice guys. But um, when I see a lot of indie games, what happens is these indie developers will work on their game, and they'll work on it for so long that they kind of lose perspective to what it looks like to outside people. And so when they start designing puzzles and start designing how they um, introduce the game, it's like they really lose that feeling of like what it's like to come to this as someone who has not worked on it for years. So I haven't touched the fall for four years. I forgot a lot about how it worked. I came back to it and they don't do a great job of explaining the mechanics again. Uh, the tutorial is really poor. I was very confused. I got stuck on the very first scene. I couldn't figure out what I was supposed to do, which is for me is like a, a huge no, no. I mean, you should not have your player stuck on the first scene. Granted. I mean, maybe some people figured it out right away. I'm not saying I'm the smartest person in the world, but I have a lot of game experience and I can usually tell when a tutorial is not doing its job. In this case, I did not feel like it was doing its job. I got past the tutorial, which was really not great. And I thought, well, no big deal. We'll just get to the meat of gameplay here. This will be fine. Really looking forward to the story, seeing where it goes. The very first gameplay segment is really idiosyncratic. Like, it's really unusual. It's very unconventional. Um, I don't want to spoil it, but basically what happens is you're an AI character controlling another AI character and there is like a Groundhog Day time loop and there's also a number of puzzles that are designed to break computer logic but they're not exactly super clear and then you're also having to jump back and forth between bodies while resetting the timeline while you know trying to figure out what you need to do to change the AI it's a lot like it's a lot to do in a very first scene of a game and at this point I was still not comfortable with the premise and the mechanics. And so to go from a tutorial where I got stuck to into a gameplay section where again, I got super stuck. I'm like, this is not, this is not working for me. These guys, I feel like they have forgotten what it feels like to start a game like this fresh. And they are kind of speaking their own language. Like I'm sure this makes perfect sense to them because they worked on it for so long and they made it. But to have someone like me who is not super, I mean, I didn't, I didn't just finish the fall and I didn't work on this. So like none of these mechanics are familiar to me. They're not intuitive. They're not very comparable to what is in similar games. So I felt like it was very, very clunky start, a really poor start, and a very confusing and frustrating start. And full disclosure, um, when I got this review code, I, I was provided a review code from the publisher. Um, they sent me a walkthrough, and I'm like, oh, that's silly, whatever. I'm not going to need that. Oh, no, totally <laughs> needed the walkthrough. I found myself running for the walkthrough, and I'm like, oh, my God, I can't even get through this first section without a walkthrough. What is going on? Uh, so I needed it. I needed like a step-by-step -step walkthrough of the first puzzle and I'm not happy about it. Like I'm not pleased because I got through most of the fall, the original one, no problem. I mean, there was definitely some challenging bits and there was uh, one or two sections where I did get stuck, 
But overall, I think it was fine. But I think the Fallout Part 2, and hopefully this changes, but from what I've seen so far, it's really kind of up its own ass with like puzzle logic and how things are laid out. And it's not very approachable. So I stopped right there because uh, I haven't had any time to come back to it. Also, I was really discouraged. So I just needed to take a break from it because I didn't want to progress with like a bad attitude, right? I wanted to give it the fairest chance possible. So I put it down for a day. I was going to just like chill, um, not get too worked up about it, come back to it when I was in a better mood. Uh, but it started off really poorly. And I got to say, I'm, I'm afraid that the rest of the game is going to follow suit. I still want to know where the story goes. I think that premise is great. These guys have a, a wonderful sci-fi idea that's going to unfold over the course of this trilogy. But I, uh, I just, it just... It's like you jump into a car and instead of zooming forward, the gears grind and you just chug and you can't go and you just get that really frustrated feeling. And that's kind of where I left it. So I got to get back to it. Like after the show, I'm going to go back and play some more. Uh, but it really got off on the wrong foot. So I wish I had something better to say about it. And I wish I had gotten further. I feel like I would have gotten much further in if I hadn't gotten so stuck. But that's where we are. So looking a little troubled so far. I can't say that it was the same um, instant win that the first one was, but... Uh, that remains to be seen. I'm not writing it off, not saying it's a bad game, but I will say the start really put a damper on my enjoyment of it. I feel like the the situation where they send you a walkthrough with the review code, like that, I mean, on one hand, it's like, oh, how nice of them. Like they're helping me because something that maybe people who don't review games don't think about is, and this has happened to me plenty of times in the past, where if you get a, a review code for a game, you're playing a game before it comes out, like to, you know, the average consumer, like before it's on PSN or on the Xbox store or Steam or whatever, like you are literally one of a very small pool of people playing that game. And if you get stuck, it is really hard to figure out what to do because you can't just Google like, oh, the Fall Part 2 walkthrough because literally no one has written a walkthrough for it yet because you're like one of the only people playing it. So on one hand, it's like, oh, what a great idea that they give you a walkthrough to start this game with. But on the other hand, it's like, shouldn't that say something to the developers that if they have to, if they feel pressured to give reviewers a walkthrough that maybe their game is not intuitive enough for the average player. See, I think that's a really good point. Um, and I think that for me personally, I don't know how other people do it, but for me personally, uh, whenever a developer sends a walkthrough, I don't touch it. I usually don't open it at all because I think that is part of the review experience. Uh, for me, I take a game as it is. I go through it, um, try to figure it out with the the uh, abilities available to me, my own common sense and my experience <laughs> with games and try to hopefully that'll be enough to get me through. But sometimes it's not. And I do, um, if I do go through a walkthrough like I do with this one, I will definitely mention it in the review because I would not read the answers and then review the game and say, oh, it was fine. Like if I got stuck, I would definitely mention that. And that has been the case in the past. Uh, I mean, one really notable example is uh, with Dark Souls. When Dark Souls first came out, I was playing that pre-release. And I know that people love Dark Souls and it's the most perfect game ever made and it's a masterpiece and blah, 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 <laughs> blah, blah, blah. But let me tell you something. When that game came out and it was before all the patches, before all the difficulty adjustment, before the technical problems were solved, before there was any FAQs or walkthroughs, that is a fucking hard game to get through and it's really confusing and there's a lot of shitty parts to it that people give a pass because now there are endless FAQs and Let's Plays and the community wikis. There's all this stuff that's out there for a game like that that was not there. And so your experience as a player coming to this game now is light years different than what it would be for someone like me who was playing it pre-release, pre-patch, pre-wiki, pre-everything. 
So that was really why my review of Dark Souls was not that good, uh, famously. And that's kind of what I'm going to be shooting for with The Fall Part 2. I did need the, the walkthrough. Um, that will definitely play a part in my review. I'm going to go to the next section of the game, and I'm going to try to do it cold and see how that goes. Um, but if it becomes a problem, that will definitely be reflected in the score. So I think it's very fair to um, go into it as cold as possible. And then if you do need that help, that does say something for sure. I was thinking about whenever, because I kind of forgot this game was coming out, to be honest, because it had been so long since I'd played the first one. Um, and I saw that, like, whenever you started playing it for review, like, on my little PS4, PSN, like, the little, like, social media feed bullshit thing, I saw that you had been playing it. And I was like, oh, awesome, Brad's playing the Fall Part 2. Like, I can't wait for that to come out. I'm really excited about it. And I was planning on buying it, and I have not bought it yet. But the first thing I did when I saw that you were playing it is I ran to my library of games in the PSN and I re-downloaded the first one because I feel like it's been such a long gap that playing the first one would be extremely beneficial into going into the second one. And you touched on this a little bit whenever you're talking about starting the game, but whenever you start the second one, does it give you any kind of like previously on the fall segment to like catch you up to what's been going on? Yeah, as a matter of fact, when you start the game, it does say, would you like a recap of the first fall? And I did check on, uh, click on that to see what it was. It's like maybe 30 seconds. And it, I mean, it tells you basically like three bullet points about what happens, but it really, really, really does not encapsulate what the fall was about. And it doesn't communicate anything that you would really need to know in starting the fall too. Like, I mean, if you have played it already and just need a refresher, it'll probably refresh your memory. But if you were a person who like saw this on PSN and wanted to buy it, and then you you watch that thing. Like, not only does it completely spoil the first game, but it, it <laughs> fails to show why the first game was good. So I would definitely recommend anybody who hasn't played it, play the first one first. The first one is awesome. And for you, I mean, yeah, definitely play it again to kind of refresh your memory. Uh, because this game, The Fall Part 2, it just starts. Like, they kind of expect you to be caught up to speed and just go. Like, there's not a lot of reacclimation at all, which I found to be very difficult to deal with. All right. That's good to know. And it's also worth noting that um, like in the first fall, like you had mentioned that it is like, you know, kind of a side scrolling like puzzle kind of platformer. There is some combat in it, but a lot of it has a lot of like kind of obtuse adventure game style elements where you like will have to inspect things and find like this really kind of strange item. And then you have to remember like where you have to go back and use the item or use these items in a certain sequence in order to solve this puzzle. And I think it might be worth mentioning too, just as like a side that like, you know, as a whole, the fall and I suspect the fall part two, it's not always like super intuitive due to its kind of like old school, like adventure gamey elements. No, that's very true. It's very, um, it is very adventure gamey, point and clicky kind of a thing. Um, and that is traditionally like a weak area for me. That's not my strongest genre. So, um, you know, I'm sure that part of my difficulty with it is that this is not a genre that I'm really great at. Like my, if my brain doesn't click into what the developers are doing, I just, I can't figure it out. So I'm not the best at these games. Maybe other people will have an easier time, but yeah, the point and click adventure is definitely a huge part of this experience. So be prepared for some of that. <laughs> and as you've played the second one because um, the first one has combat like it has like you have like your pistol or whatever and you can shoot like side scroll shoot and like laser point and everything but the combat doesn't come into play for a while in the first one has there been any combat in the second one yet yeah there's actually too much to be honest with you and oh as, no one of the settings as you start the game is do you want the full combat experience or do you want minimal combat and just mostly the story i chose minimal combat and i still feel like there's too much oh geez. so 
combat is not great. Um, I kind of, I mean, uh, I, yeah, I mean, there's certain aspects of this. I don't want to rag on it too much because, like I said, I'm really early, <laughs> and I'll probably, I'll probably talk about it more maybe on next episode once I've got some more time into it. But I do kind of feel like the inclusion of combat should be a little more sporadic. So far, it's been a little. I mean, it's not game ruining or anything, but it's just like I just don't want or need this much combat in it. So, uh, let me. Uh, I feel like I'm going to talk myself into trouble if I keep talking about it. So let's uh, <laughs> let's get off of this real quick, and I'll talk more about it next week. Uh, let's move ahead to uh, one of your games, Corey. Star Wars Battlefront 2. I know, I know. This is like the last game I ever expected to play. And what happened was I had talked about on the show like months ago how I had been playing uh, the Metroid <clears throat> 3DS, whatever, Samus Returns Metroid game. And I kind of forgot that I had it, and I had that game from Gamefly. And I just came to that point where I was like, you know, I'm never going to play this game again. Like, it's a fine game. It's not bad at all. I just don't ever feel like playing it. And so I sent it back to Gamefly. And usually Gamefly takes like 100 years to get games to me uh, in Louisiana because we don't have a shipping center that's like really close. And I sent it back. And it was that rare, like, blue moon chance where literally like a day or two later, they emailed me and they were like, oh, we're shipping your next game. It's Star Wars Battlefront 2. And I had forgotten that I had put Battlefront 2 on my GameCube. And it's like definitely a game that I was interested in playing because it has a campaign mode, unlike the first Battlefront, which it doesn't. So I was interested in just like getting into the campaign and kind of like picking apart the mechanics and seeing what the game was made of. But if I had remembered, I probably would have gone back into my GameCube and either taken it off or like rearranged things. So maybe it wouldn't have been the first game sent to me. But nevertheless, here we are. I have played Battlefront 2 for maybe like two or three-ish hours. I've probably done about four or five missions. I'm not sure how long the game is or how long the campaign is at least, but um, I uh, here I am. I am ready to talk about Star Wars Battlefront 2. Okay, man. So, I mean, I guess the first thing, loot boxes. Second thing, <laughs> campaign. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I played the first Battlefront. I hated it. I didn't think it was very good at all. Did you play the first one for context? I did not, but Patrick bought it, and I watched... Because the first one is, like, all multiplayer, which is something I'm not into. And I watched him play some of it as he was just, like, playing online matches with friends and stuff, but I never played it myself. Okay, I didn't think it was very good at all. Um, and, you know, I thought people... I, guess, I mean, from what I recall, people liked it, but it didn't do that great. I mean, so I guess... Uh, so, campaign, multiplayer, loot boxes, what's your overall opinion? I don't really... I mean, it, it got kind of a poor reception thanks to all the loot box bullshit um from what i understand they tied a lot of progression to loot boxes but what's your what's your sense of of the game well so far uh i've only played the campaign i'm probably not going to play multiplayer so i won't be able to offer a lot of uh, multiplayer um i guess like input but i mean the good news is that as far as the loot box thing goes um like i know that i mean this game had like the biggest shit storm of controversy surrounding it whenever it came out because of loot boxes and because like there were rumors that they were going to, like, nickel and dime you to death in order just to progress in the game or to co- progress in the campaign or to get, like, little, um, you know, upgrades in multiplayer and stuff. And it got to the point where, like, I can't remember who it was, but it was, like, one of, like, the top figures in Disney, like, basically, like, commanded that EA, like, pull all of the loot box elements out of the game or something like that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. But the good news is that I don't know how much that letter affected everything or that annou- that announcement or whatnot, but the campaign experience has been, I mean, pretty smooth. Like, I've never for one second felt like I could not progress in the campaign because I needed to, like, grind in any way or, like, 
open a loot box or like buy a loot box or something like that. I mean, the game starts you out like the whole Battlefront experience is kind of like you have your different characters and they have I mean, it's kind of like Overwatch in a way where each character has um, their own. They have like three slots of special special abilities. You have like your L1 ability, your R1 ability. And then if you press both at the same time, you have like your third ability. And as you progress in the game, you unlock different like cards that you can slot into those and it basically gives you more special abilities like maybe one of them is um i don't know like you get like unlimited ammo or something for you know 30 seconds or you can have like a shield around yourself for 30 seconds or something like that so it's just really like standard um you know little upgrades and stuff and i've never felt like i've been unable to proceed in the campaign so that's the good news but the I guess, like, mediocre news is I've never been a big Star Wars fan to begin with. Like, I've seen most of the movies. I've seen the last three that came out, uh, like Rogue One and The Last Jedi and The Force Awakens. But, I mean, although I can, like, sit down and enjoy a Star Wars movie, I've never been, like, into the lore or, like, really cared a whole lot about Star Wars. I mean, they're fine, but I'm just not... I'm just not, like, super-duper into them. So, um, I feel like... This game, oddly enough, reminds me a lot of um, the Order eighteen eighty six because Good I know Lord. and I and and so let me explain because this is this is a connection that I did not think was going to happen. And for reference, I really like the Order eighteen eighty six, although I understand why people don't because it's literally just a third person cover shooter with like not really any bells and whistles apart from the fact that it's like one of the most beautiful games ever made and i still stand by that opinion i think the game is so it's like silky smooth the sound design is impeccable the voice acting is impeccable everything about the production values for it is impeccable but it's literally just a third person cover shooter like there's not a whole lot else going on but for some reason that's enough for me and i like it and i think that game is great but i understand why it's not enough for people and i feel the same way about Star Wars Battlefront 2's campaign because it it's like a beautiful beautifully designed it looks gorgeous it's like pretty smooth third person shooter although one cool thing is you can actually make it a first person shooter if you want like if you hold down on the d-pad you can switch back and forth between third person shooting and first person shooting on the fly which is really neat but I've been playing it in uh, third person mode but it's just, like, that's just kind of it, like, as far as the campaign goes. Like, it's kind of like a, you play as a woman who is a, she's, like, an Imperial Guard, and I'm pretty sure at some point down the line she's going to, like, join the Resistance and become, like, a Resistance fighter. Like, I, it hasn't happened yet, but I think that's what happens in the game. Like, she starts as a bad guy, she becomes a good guy later. Um, and there's, like, certain chapters where you get to play as... Um, like iconic characters and the Star Wars universe. Like last night I got to my first chapter of that where you get to play as Luke Skywalker and he has like, he's got his lightsaber because the, the woman you play as, her name is Iden Versio, which is a ridiculous name. Um, and, but when you, like she obviously doesn't have a lightsaber because she's not, you know, she doesn't have the force or, you know, isn't a Skywalker or whatever. And so she has, like, her guns, and she has some, like, special abilities that are more, like, combat-related in that way. But when you play as Luke Skywalker, he has his uh, his green lightsaber, and he has, like, force powers. He can use, like, the force choke and, like, a push or something like that. Um, so there's certain chapters where you get to play as, like, iconic Star Wars characters, which is kind of neat. I mean, it's kind of like a—it seems kind of like a fan service thing um, and kind of like a, a power fantasy thing, like, where you finally get to play as, like, cool— 
iconic Star Wars characters. But, I mean, it just kind of reminds me of The Order because it's, like, it's just, like, a slickly designed third-person shooter or first-person shooter, I guess. And it has, um, you know, some, like, a couple little bells and whistles. Like, it has, like, the special abilities you can slot in and out. And, you know, it has the added factor of it being, like, a Star Wars game. So if you're, like, a super-duper Star Wars geek, like... I'm pretty sure this game takes you to a bunch of, you know, like locales from the movies and stuff that people would recognize that I don't recognize because I haven't seen the old movies in like probably like 20 years. Um, but, uh, but I mean, it's, that's just kind of it. Like it's just like a, a shooter. It has some air combat, which is kind of nice. Like you get to, you know, play as, I don't even know what the names of all the ships are, like a TIE fighter or like an X-Wing and all that stuff. Like you get to like, pilot those and do some like air combat but the downside is that the air combat is like not very good i'm not really enjoying it there's only been a couple missions of it so far but i've never been one for air combat and the only games that i've enjoyed air combat have been um halo reach and call of duty infinite warfare that came out a couple years ago i think those games have phenomenal air combat because the ships are very quick and they can like turn on a dime which is not realistic but it's fun and uh, Star Wars air combat is kind of not great. It's like the camera is too close to the ship that you're controlling and the turns are pretty tight. And sometimes you can turn and not see a ship next to you, like a big ship. And if you crash into it, the ship explodes and you have to reload your checkpoint. So it's like, <laughs> and it's just like, it's like not, it's just not very fun. Like, I feel like they could have tuned it a little bit better to make it a little tighter or like bring the camera out a little more. Or maybe there's like a camera control button that I don't know about during um, during like the air combat sections. But I don't know. I mean, it's just okay. Like it's totally gorgeous. It's really beautiful. It's cool that it's like in Star Wars. So if you're like a Star Wars nerd, I'm sure this is like really great. And I mean, the campaign levels where you get to play as like iconic characters, like I feel like that's pretty cool. Um, I don't know who else you get to play at. Like, I don't know if you get to play as like Han Solo in the future or maybe like uh, Princess Leia or somebody. Um, so far, I've only gotten to the Luke Skywalker stage, but I don't know. Like, it's it's just like fine. Like, I'm sure if, you know, you're really into Star Wars, this will be like a really kind of fun experience to kind of skip you through like different areas of Star Wars and, you know, a really kind of beautiful setting. Um but it just kind of reminds me of the order in that sense where it's just like a really beautiful kind of like pared down shooter that doesn't really have a whole lot else going on. Kind of sounds like it. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I was one of the people that wanted a campaign from battlefront, the first battlefront, because I'm not much of a multiplayer guy. I did not care for that action, but I thought it was a shame that they made all those assets and then didn't have a campaign uh, component because that's usually what I'm in for. Uh, but I got to be honest, I was not really tempted at all to get into Battlefront 2's campaign. I, I thought for a while I was going to just rent it, do the story mode, then be done with it. But after the loot box debacle and after hearing um, some people talk about how they were not satisfied with the campaign, I was like, eh, whatever, dude. I got like 10 fucking thousand other things to play. I don't need to play something <laughs> that's like a subpar, you know, I mean, I like Star Wars, but I'm not going to play every single Star Wars thing. And, you know, it didn't seem like enough of a really worth my time to play. So I, I kind of gave it a pass. And from what you're saying uh, is not really convincing me to put it back in my Gamefly queue. So, <laughs> I mean, if you're not a Star Wars nut, probably safe to say I'd let this one go. Yeah, I mean, if you're not like super into Star Wars, it's probably not 
gonna be your bag. And I mean, maybe like I mean, like I said, I'm not gonna play the multiplayer, and I haven't, uh, I haven't played any of it. And like maybe the multiplayer is gonna be like the thing that I mean, that's kind of like what the Battlefront games are for. It's kind of like, um, like Titanfall. Like the first Titanfall was all multiplayer, so that's really what like their bread and butter is. And then in the second one, they just kind of like threw a campaign on. And Titanfall's situation, like the campaign, the campaign ended up being like super spectacular. Um, but with Battlefront, they're kind of doing the same thing where, like, the first game was, like, a testing ground for, um, for uh, you know, uh, multiplayer. And then the second one, they're throwing the campaign in. And, I mean, so I can't really speak to the multiplayer. But as far as the campaign goes, like, if you're into Star Wars, it's probably going to be good enough for you. But if you're not, then um, maybe not. And that's not to say I'm not enjoying myself because it's, like, a fun enough game to play. Like, it's totally, I guess, like... It's, like, inoffensive, I guess is the word I'm looking for. Like, it's a totally inoffensive game where it's just easy to play. It's not too hard. It's not too easy. Like, it's just, like, an easy game to play, I guess. Well, I mean, I think that's fine. And I think we kind of discussed this (laughs) on the last show. But, like, we, I, I think you said and both I said that we need to be very selective with our gaming experiences because we just don't have the free time anymore to just play anything that is inoffensive. Like, we got to be very almost sniper-like in, like, what we choose to play because there just isn't that many hours in the day. You know, now that you're working, I'm always working, et cetera, et cetera. So it sounds to me like this perhaps has not earned any hours of my free time. Uh, I mean, I, I guess you're playing because you got it from Gamefly, but, I mean, if something better came by today, would you drop it in a hot second and move on to something else? Uh, Yeah, I probably would. I mean, I'm, pr- I'm going to try to finish the campaign because it's, like, it's like fine enough, but if it's one of those games where like perhaps if I get to maybe a section that's too hard or if I keep dying a bunch in a section, which has not happened yet, like that will be enough for me to be like, all right, I'm going to turn it off and send it back to Gamefly. Like this game isn't really worth like a lot of hardship for me. Um, but so far, I mean, it's it's fine. It's a fine campaign. Nothing special. It's not bad by any means. It's just kind of just kind of there, I guess, but inoffensive enough for me to still want to play. Uh, that's hilarious that you say that because I've had that experience many times where if I'm playing a game that's not for review, like if I just try something and it's not really like winning me over, or I don't really feel like invested enough to like get good at whatever it is. Like I'll, I will play it, you know, if I have the time, as long as it doesn't give me any friction. So it's like, I will keep going as long as it's fine and easy to play. <laughs> but the second it becomes painful, I'll be like, fuck it. And I just like eject it out and I'm done. So I know exactly what you mean, by the way. I, I have identified with that strongly. Also, just quick side note, you mentioned Titanfall. It's funny you mentioned Titanfall because I'm actually playing a ton of Titanfall right now, which is ridiculous. Uh, Titanfall 1, the very first one, and I'm actually playing it on Xbox 360. As a matter of fact, uh, my son loves Titanfall. He is a Titanfall fucking maniac. He loves everything about it. <laughs> And he inherited my wife's 360, and he discovered Titanfall in the stack of discs that I gave him, and he loves it. And he wants to play with me and do multiplayer all the time, so I uh, got my uh, 360 fired up, and we played that a lot. So it's amazing how good the multiplayer is in Titanfall 1. I'm not a huge multiplayer guy, but that is really enjoyable multiplayer. And although the campaign in Titanfall 2 is great, and I really like that a lot, uh, the the multiplayer in Titanfall 2 is just not good is not good. It did not hook me. It did not hook him. Uh, and I, it's interesting that I find us uh, going back to Titanfall 1 because that was really where they hit the sweet spot. So anyway, just a little side note, nothing really to say about that except for we're playing it. Oh, also, it's fascinating that there are only like 
like such a small dedicated crew of people playing Titanfall on 360. Like we'll jump online and sometimes there will be like four people worldwide who are playing or like five people. <laughs> and then we see the same people over and over and over. Like my son will be like, oh yeah, it's so-and-so he's back on. Oh, oh yeah, that guy. I remember that guy. Like you, there's so few people that when you play with these people, like you start to recognize them all the time. Like totally unlike the average multiplayer shooter where you're throwing with randos, like you never played the same person twice. Uh, but this one is like, oh, yeah, this guy, this guy's a dick. I remember this guy from last time. Or like, oh, yeah, this guy's back. He's a good teammate. It's so funny. The community is so small. I wish that someone would do interviews with these these hardcore, dedicated Titanfall 360 players because I really want to know who they are. I mean, my kid, eight years old, he's got this hand-me-down console. That's why he's playing, and he loves robots, so no, no big deal there. But there's got to be some interesting stories out there about people who are still hanging on to this community and this multiplayer game like so many years after it came out. Um, and even after the sequel came out, you know, these people clearly did not move on. So I would love to know their stories. I don't know their stories, but I'd love to know them. So any games journos out there listening, there you go. Have that one for free. That's a great scoop. <laughs> Pitch that to somebody and sell that story. It's going to be a sad day whenever they shut down the servers for that game. Oh, I know, dude. I know. And there's always private match, so you can always connect with somebody else directly. But straight up, dude, my son kicks my fucking ass at Titanfall. <laughs> I can't. I literally can't beat him. I can't. I've tried. <laughs> I cannot. So if there's if they do shut down the servers and we just have to do like a private match directly, I mean, I guess I'll do that if, if that's what he wants. But it's really punishing to play with my son because I just uh, I can't win and it's not fun. He just steamrolls right <laughs> over me. Oh, amazing little dude, I'll tell you. So uh, anyway, any last thoughts on uh, Battlefront 2? Uh, the only very small thing I want to say, and this is a slight, uh, maybe a slight tangent, is... Um, Although the game is just fine, and it's not spectacular, but it's not terrible, um, I am really excited for the woman who plays the lead character in Star Wars Battlefront Two. Her name in real life, I'm probably going to butcher her last name, but uh, her first name is Janina. She's Janina Gavincar. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing her last name correctly, but she's kind of like a TV actor, and she's been in a lot of stuff. She's been in um, like the show Sleepy Hollow, and she was in... Um, True Blood, and she was in The L Word, and she's just kind of, I, she's kind of one of those faces where you, like, recognize her, but you can't really name anything she's been in unless you watch one of those shows, but um, she plays the lead character in in Star Wars Battlefront 2, and I just want to say that I'm, like, really excited for her to play that character because I followed her, whenever I found out who she was, I started following her on Twitter, and she's, like, an actual, like, hardcore gamer in real life, even though she's, like, She's, like, an actress, and she has a lot going on, and, you know, she's, like, super-duper beautiful. Like, she looks like a supermodel, and but she's, like, really into video games, and you can tell that she was really passionate about Star Wars itself whenever she was uh, had the opportunity to make this game and to be the lead character, and I'm pretty sure that um, whenever, like, I think it was Giant Bomb, whenever they were doing their, like, 2017 Game of the Year stuff, I'm pretty sure they actually had her on, like one of their shows or one of their podcasts or, and like had her write about like what her top games of the year were. So it's really cool to me. Like, I mean, she doesn't need my approval at all because she's like a very successful woman, but <laughs> it's just cool to me that she's like so passionate about video games and about star Wars. And she like, she gets to play the lead actress in a Star Wars video game. And I mean, the character model in the game looks just like her. I mean, it's very obvious that they modeled it to look just like her. So it's just really cool to see her like, you know, she's not just some, like, actor that doesn't give a shit about games that they, you know, hired from a casting session. She's, like, super passionate about it, and you can tell that she really loved it. And she does a great job in the game. Like, she she plays um, her character well. And so it's just exciting to see that, to see her, like, 
you know, to get like a real like hardcore gamer and have her also be, you know, really passionate about this stuff and then get to play the lead role in a game like this. Uh, I love when that happens. I love when like somebody who like portrays a role or like on TV or movies is somehow involved with games when they actually know shit about games. I love that because uh, <laughs> this totally reminds me of like, you know, I love iZombie. That show is the fucking shit. I love iZombie. <laughs> and they talk about games all the time on that show. And I thought it was weird because um, they'll show some of the main characters like just kicking out on the couch playing games. And they picked games that were like current and that actually tied into like the show, like the themes of the show. And they, they said things on the game on the show that like that were real that like you could tell if somebody had actually played a game like they sit on the couch, <laughs> they sit on the couch and one of the guys like, oh, fuck, go shut those curtains, man. I'm getting too much glare. And I'm like, oh, yes, I've done that myself. The glare of the couch, and the curtains, that's a real thing. <laughs> you know, like clearly the writer knew because they must have played games themselves or like, you know, they're making jokes about leveling up and stuff where it's totally just like a toss in uh, to give the show some color. But like it was accurate. Like it wasn't it's not like those commercials where you see like some weird white kid on a couch and he's like dancing up and down, holding controller upside down, pretending like he's playing a game. <laughs> like it's like somebody actually knew. Like I love I love when that stuff is legit. I love that. It's the best thing. I agree. I It makes me think of um, in the movie Charlie's Angels with Cameron Diaz and Drew Barrymore and Lucy Liu. There was like one scene where. Uh, Drew Barrymore like rolls down the hill of this like of the evil criminal masterminds like like mountainside lair if you will and she like knocks on a door at, from some like kids in this neighborhood to let her in so she can like change her clothes and stuff and like clean herself up and the camera pans to the boys playing video games and they're playing Final Fantasy 8 and they both have a controller in their hand and it's oh, like obviously God. this is not a no. two player game like, <laughs> I, I hate when that happens dude I hate that where they like where they do that thing where they kind of tilt themselves, they're holding control up, and they're like banging on the buttons like real fast, like they're actually doing something. Are they doing that? <laughs> they weren't doing that. I mean, it's a pretty quick shot of them just like looking over at her when she's um, when she's like you know banging on the back door. But it's it's just funny to me because like you can clearly tell that it's Final Fantasy, and like they're both holding PlayStation One controllers. And I mean, anybody who's remotely familiar with the Final Fantasy series would know that. Those are not two-player games, like especially not split-screen games. So it's just oh, like they could have put any other game in, but not that one. Uh, lame, lame. I hate when they cop <laughs> out on that. That sucks. That sucks. Anyway, all right, man. Well, that sounds good. Let me. Uh, we're running. We are quickly running out of time. Do you want to do a quick time check? How much? How much time you got, Corey? Uh, we're good. We can keep going. And I'm interested to hear about your next game too. So let's go. All right, let's jump into it. Talking about Celeste on the Switch, I talked about this briefly last week, but I did not get a chance to play it. I have played a bunch of it now, ready to talk about it. So this is from the same people who did uh, Towerfall. I think they're called Matt Makes Games. I think that's their studio name. I apologize if that's incorrect. Is it just um, one guy named Matt who's making the games? I don't think so. I mean, maybe <laughs> maybe that's how it started, but there was a bunch of other names in the credits and stuff, so I'm assuming it's more than just Matt. I mean, I don't or maybe there is no Matt. Maybe Matt is fictional. I don't know. I'm not sure. i got to <laughs> do some investigative journalism. Um, but this is also, it's not just on Switch. It's also on all the other consoles, PC, Xbox One, PS4, I'm pretty sure. Uh, so Celeste is a side-on side 2D platforming game. The story is that you are a girl named Madeline, and she is going to a mountain. The mountain is actually named Celeste. It's like Mount Celeste, I think. Uh, I thought that was going to be the main character at first, but no, it is the mountain that she's climbing. She is coming to this mountain because she has something to prove. They did not really get too much into it, but it's pretty clear that she's there because she's trying to, like, you know, um, make, make this goal happen for herself as a kind of a point of pride. So she starts at the bottom of the mountain. She meets a couple kooky characters along the way. 
but the really the point of it is just getting through these platforming challenges. You know, the mountain is broken up into different levels, and you know you start at the base, and it gets harder as you go higher. Each level of the mountain has a different hook to it. Like the first one is just the tutorial. The second one is just like your basic platforming challenges. Uh, the third one I think has like some special platforms that move in a particular way. Uh, later on, there's like a area that has like really high winds. Like sometimes you'll be fighting the wind as it's trying to blow you off. Some areas are dark, etc., etc., etc. But the thing of this game is that it's fucking hard as hell. It is oh. so hard. <laughs> so it's extremely difficult like in the terms of uh I, I mean i'm sure there's there's indie platformers that are that are harder i mean there's uh the the masso core genre where people just like to punish themselves with those hard games and it's not quite to that level but in terms of console platformers that i have played i would rank it like at the top of like the most difficult ones i've played it's very difficult requires a lot of really quick uh, reflexes split second timing quick thinking, a lot of try and die. Um, I think in the level that I finished last night, which was maybe the fourth or fifth level, the high winds level, I think I died something like 600 times in that level. Oh my God. So it's like, (laughs) you're cracking me up, dude. Never. (laughs) I would never play this fucking game. (laughs) Uh, So I don't mind those things as long as they're well put together. This one is definitely well put together. I mean, it's clear a lot of time and effort went into it. It's really polished. Um, It's a little bit more difficult than I would like to engage with um all the way like i'm okay to play the base levels um just kind of going from point a to point b i want to finish it uh but there's also a ton of like bonus challenges along the way um there are like these little strawberries in these little side rooms and if you get the strawberries you can collect those and all of the strawberry challenges are like much harder than what's in the main line but i think the main line is really hard already so it's it's hard to the point where i'm not engaging with everything it has to offer to me i'm kind of like well i'm gonna go through the, the campaign i'm going to get to the story end of the story and i'm going to call that good and i don't need to do more than that because this is already more work than i really want to do but i am enjoying it um very tough very taxing thankfully it's got that like really quick restart kind of like a super meat boy style where you die you just instantly start again there's no load time there's no downtime because it would get immensely frustrating if you had to wait like three seconds between each attempt because sometimes you just jump die jump die jump die jump die jump i made it jump again jump die jump die and so you're kind of doing like that kind of pace uh it goes really quickly and it needs to go quick so i'm glad that it does graphics are really super colorful and nice i mean the art style is very lovely you get these little cutscenes um which pop up here and there which are actually uh well done as well they talk about her emotional struggle uh there's clearly some stuff under the surface about like who she is and what her background is but she meets these other people who are kooky and the dialogue is really natural and it feels very current and relevant, which is nice. Uh, a couple selfie jokes and stuff, which I thought was pretty, pretty apropos. Um, so I'm really liking it, but it is, it's really taxing. And so for me, it's like right at the top edge of what I would take on. Um, it reminds me a lot of a game I played a couple years ago called 1001 Spikes. Did we ever talk about this? Uh, not that I recall. So that was um, a really, really, really tough platformer. Uh, and that was actually how I met good friend of the show, uh, Louis Fiatro. I was bitching about 1001 Spikes on Twitter, and he was somebody who was playing it at the time. Uh, and so we kind of, like, supported each other going through that game. Like, I would get to a hard part, and he would cheer me on. And then he would get to a hard part, and I would cheer him on. And so, like, I was going to quit the game, but he convinced me to keep in. And then he kept getting ahead of me, so I wanted to catch up to him. And so, like, it was actually Louie that got me through that game, because if it wasn't for him, I probably would have quit 1001 Spikes. But that ended up being a really um, wonderful game. Tough as fucking balls. I mean, like, really punishing, punishingly hard. 
Uh, but I'm glad that I got through it. I really enjoyed it a lot. And that's, that reminds me a lot of uh, Celeste, or Celeste reminds me of that one. Very punishing, but when you do get past the section, it does feel um, very satisfying. Uh, I will say, though, a couple things. So a couple things. Uh, I'm playing this on the Switch, and I'm playing it mostly in portable mode because I've been taking it with me to work, and I've been working a lot. So I did try it on the Pro Controller and the TV dock mode. That works great. I think the Pro Controller is wonderful feels very comfortable and natural. But when I take it on the portable mode, something about that just does not work for me. I am constantly pushing the wrong button because my hands just for some reason are not connecting with what's going on in the screen and it's not connecting with how the portable mode is laid out. I don't know what it is because I don't usually have that problem with any game. Like, you know, an hour or two and I'm into the zone and I get the controls down, muscle memory takes over. But for some reason, I am just not able to get into that zone with Celeste. Something about the buttons or how it's laid out on the on the the Joy-Cons is just not working for me. Also, because the Joy-Cons do not have a legit D-pad, I find that to be a problem. I don't know. Um, I don't know if you've seen it or not, but on the left left side of the portable mode, there are four buttons laid out in a diamond shape, and it takes the place of the D-pad, but it's not a D-pad. And that's fine for most games, but in a game like this where it requires split-second timing and like real high-level precision. I find that I'm dying a lot because my fingers are just not pushing the diagonals correctly enough because it's buttons and not a D-pad. So I find that to be a little frustrating, um, having a little bit of trouble coping with that. But, you know, there's no real penalty for it, and that's fine. It's just something that uh, I just... It doesn't feel optimal. I just haven't gotten into a comfortable groove with it. Um, something else to mention is that uh, this is the game that I, I talked about before. It has a lot of accessibility options. That's one reason why people are celebrating this game right now. I have not checked them out, and I'll tell you why. Um, talking to a friend of mine, uh, John Vanderhoef on Twitter, who's also a staffer at Game Critics, uh, he hasn't written a lot for us lately, but he uh, he has written a number of pieces for us. Very smart guy, very smart guy. Um, he was saying that... Um, shit, wait a minute. Is it John? I apologize. It may not be John. John, <laughs> if it's not you, I'm sorry. I thought it was you, but now that I'm thinking about it, maybe I got that wrong. Anyway, regardless, I was talking to uh, somebody on Twitter. Sorry, mystery person. <laughs> and they were saying that they turned on some of the accessibility options. And once they had done that, they found that they no longer had the energy to go through it legit anymore. Like once they turned on the God mode for a minute, they found it impossible to go back to do it because it just kind of felt spoiled for them, which I totally get. Like I, I get why you would not want to struggle through a section if you knew you could push a button and be in God mode and just like float over the gap or be invincible or whatever, you know? So I haven't turned on any of the accessibility options because as soon as I do, I feel like I probably would fall in the same trap. I would stop trying. I would stop. I would stop putting the effort and I don't want to do that. I want to finish it legit just to see if I can do it, just to see how it would feel after I got done, give my full opinion on it just in the vanilla mode as it was meant to be played. But I do celebrate the fact that it has those options. So apparently it's able for anybody of any skill level to get through the game. I mean, of course, it would be a different experience because you wouldn't have to, like, you know, suffer all those defeats and, and deaths. You could just, you know, float through a level or, you know, your playtime would probably be drastically reduced and you would just basically be going from cutscene to cutscene, apparently. But I'm glad that they did that. I'm glad that they give people the option because nothing really bums me out, like, buying a game and then finding out, like, you can't get through it. I mean, it doesn't happen for me that often, but it has happened sometimes. And I know that not everybody plays as many games as we do. Like, not everybody is up to, like, game critics level of skill. Um, not, you know, not trying to shoot my own horn or anything, but just saying that, you know, <laughs> with the amount of games that we play, we're probably better than the average person. So, you know, we probably don't get stuck that much, but when we do, it sucks. And I would hate to be a person who buys a game and just like literally can't get through it. That would be a really terrible feeling. 
So I'm glad that they have included those options. I haven't checked them out. I will check them out after I finish the campaign and I'll see what's in there. But so far, playing it vanilla mode, it is really fucking balls hard and really taxing, really challenging, uh, but well made, well put together. I would suggest playing it on the Pro Controller or playing it on a real D-pad, not on the portable Joy-Cons. But otherwise, um, I'm really enjoying it. I don't know. I, I guess I'm curious to see where the story goes. I think the story will probably play a big factor in how I ultimately enjoy this game. Uh, but so far, yeah, it's definitely a thumbs up. I think it's worthy of the praise. So the accessibility thing is really fascinating for me because I kind of feel like that... Like, it's one of those things where I wish, like, every single game ever in the entire universe had that kind of thing where, like, you could, like, because someone for me coming to this game, like, I wouldn't, like, like I saw, like, I was moaning and groaning earlier when you were talking about how hard it is. Like, this is a game that I would never, ever, ever play because I just don't like these kinds of games. I don't like, you know, your Super Meat Boy where you're expected to die 6,000 times per level to figure out how to finish a level or you have to, like, be able to have the most accurate twitch reflexes in the world you know to get through like a single couple of jumps or something um you know to dodge stuff but the fact that this game has accessibility options like that actually really interests me um because like if a if a game's story is good enough i would be interested in playing something like this but basically like i would probably be of the mindset where i would start the first level and i would die like three times then i'd be like all right and switch like every accessibility option on and just kind of float through the game because i wouldn't really care about um you know the challenge of it because that's not what i um i guess like derive pleasure from is like that kind of challenge level in video games but i wish that a lot of other games had this kind of um you know accessibility thing you know because there's a lot of talk with you know, say, like, the Souls games, for example, because, you know, like, that's, like, the thing, you know, everybody who plays Dark Souls and Demon Souls and, um, you know, games from, 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 um, <laughs> they, uh, like, you know, those games are, like, a big dick measuring contest. It's, like, anytime you hear somebody talking about the Souls games, it's, like, oh, well, I played it on New Game plus, 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 and I beat this boss in this time, and then the, the next person's, like, oh, yeah, well, I beat it on New Game plus, 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 and I beat this boss in three seconds less than you, and it's just, like, it's just, like, a bunch of fucking dudes measuring their dicks, and I've never been that interested in it, and there's always been a lot of talk surrounding, I mean, not just Souls, but about difficult games in general, like, about how, you know, like, developers should make more of an effort to kind of make games for everybody, and that, like, it's certainly okay to make a game that is, like, really hard or takes a lot of, um, you know, precision and a lot of reflex and a lot of planning to play a game. But on the other side, like, if developers made a game like that but put in, like, a super-duper ultra-easy mode or put in a lot of accessibility options or, you know, put in things where you could basically just float through the game and experience it and, you know, kind of give everything the game has to has to offer minus, like, the ridiculous challenge, you know, there's a lot of people who are like, oh, that's a terrible idea, you know, because this game is, like, meant to be challenging. But, I mean, those are the people who don't want to have any kind of conversation around games other than, you know, getting their dicks out and measuring them for the games. And, I mean, really, like, if, you know, person A plays a game on hard mode... And, you know, all they want to do is talk about how they played it on hard mode and that's what, you know, and that they beat whatever boss and beat it in this time or, you know, only had this much equipment or whatever. And then I choose to play the game on like super duper very easy mode. Like that doesn't take away from their experience and what they got and how they got to play the game. So I don't understand why 
all of these like fucking bros are always like upset whenever the discussion about how like difficult games should be more accessible or how they should have more accessibility options comes up because it doesn't affect how like the way they play the game unless they made the entire game easy but like that's not the conversation we're having we're having a conversation about making modes easier rather than you know dumbing down the whole game and I, I like the fact that Celeste does this a lot, and I kind of wish that, like, maybe they'll set a trend for other developers that'll make it, uh, you know, that'll kind of do the same thing with their games. It'll make them a lot easier should you choose to play them that way. I'm really glad you brought that up because I wanted to discuss that very topic with you um, because <laughs> I got I, so number a couple things. Number one, I do think there is a trend. I mean, this one uh, came out with a lot of accessibility options. There's another game called Way of the Passive Fist, which is coming out this year, which is a side-scrolling, kind of like a beat-em-up, like a Final Fight-style game. That one comes with a load of accessibility options, like the more options than I've ever seen in a game to, like, tailor the experience to something that you can play. So, like, anybody of any skill level or even of any physical ability level will be able to get through that game, which I think was awesome. So I love that idea of more options, and I'm really happy to see uh, more and more games coming out with that. Hopefully that will be just the start of, a, of an incoming trend. But the thing that I wanted to talk about was, like, we I actually got into this exact conversation on Twitter um, with a couple of folks. And, you know, part of the conversation was the thought that when a developer makes a game a certain way, like they make it hard, a certain level of hard because of a certain reason. And that's the artistic vision that they have. And that's the experience that they want to convey. And I think that's fine. I think you can make whatever game you want, make it as hard as you want, but at the same time to not include any accessibility options means that you are shutting out a large part of your audience. Maybe there are people who physically cannot play it. Maybe there are people who just don't enjoy games that hard and that's your choice. But at the same time, Knowing that you are going to be shutting people out of that game, to me, is really poor design and kind of inconsiderate. I get the artistic angle, but at the same time, kind of like you said, if you make your vanilla mode, like like Celeste, like this is a perfect example. Vanilla mode is hard as balls, really fucking hard. And I'm playing the vanilla mode, my choice, and it's tough. This is the experience that the developers wanted to give to me. This is what they feel like is the base game. Totally fine. I can take it on those terms and I'm, I'm going to play this. I'm going to see what it's like. But there's no value to not having options because why would you want someone to not play your game? Why would you want to shut someone out? If someone doesn't have those Twitch reflexes, if someone is not able to play at that level of skill, what are you getting out of it that keeps them out of your game? Why are you gating those people out? Like it's not polluting your artistic vision to add accessibility sliders or to add, you know, like, um, you know, pits that don't kill you or spikes that are not fatal or something like, I mean, it doesn't take away exactly like you said, like it, it's, it offers an inroad for more people to experience the thing that you made, which I mean, ostensibly as a creator, don't you want more people to experience the thing that you made? Don't you want more people to see what you did? And if you feel like the only value to your game is someone trying and dying and suffering to get through that game, I mean, okay, you can have that. You can still have that, but still knowing that no other person can interact with that game to me feels like kind of elitist and kind of, um, it, it feels kind of like, I don't, I don't think snobbery is the right word, but it's like, what kind of person assumes that if you're not able to play at my level, then you're not able to engage in what I have to say. It kind of discredits the argument that that person is putting forward. You know what I mean? Like, if you're not going to take this game on my terms, then you don't get to take this game in, which, okay, but then I, maybe I just won't take your game in and maybe I just won't interact with you as a person. <laughs> and it seems kind of, to me, like a really poor attitude to have. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And I mean, at the very least... Like, I mean, I can understand putting a game out 
and, you know, like preserving your artistic integrity and like making it hard, you know, for hard sake and all that stuff. But like at the very least, if your game is successful enough, like I wouldn't mind seeing a situation where, you know, you can patch in later on down the road. Like if your game is successful enough, if you don't, um, you know, if you don't go under as a developer or whatnot, because like we're talking about sales and video games too, because if you make a game that's fucking balls hard, like, and there's a whole big percentage of people out there that hear that it's hard. And just like me, like I am that person. Like if I hear about a game and I'm super interested in it, and then I hear the discussion quickly going to um, like, Oh, it's kind of one of those games. that's really hard. You know, it's like, it's like a super meat boy or it's like a hotline Miami or it's like a souls or whatever. Like I more often than not immediately tune out of the conversation and I don't care about the game anymore. And you know what that means? It means less sales for the developers and it means less chance for them to stay afloat in the video game industry. And I mean, even the most successful developers and publishers are having a hard time making money right now. And, you know, publishers like EA are like shutting down studios left and right, you know, whenever uh, things are going wrong or if a game doesn't sell well enough or whatnot. And like, so these indie developers, like, I feel like if you're an indie dev, you probably want the most people ever as possible buying your game and so if you make it more accessible you'll get more sales blah 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 you know you see where this is snowballing but um the original point that i was going to make here is that i mean if if you sell enough and you stay successful and you don't immediately start working on a sequel or whatnot um i mean at least like patch in like like maybe it's six months after release maybe it's a year after release um you know patch in something that makes the game a little bit easier or that you know, makes more accessibility options in the game. Because at that point, you're going to have all of, like, the hardcore bros who have already played it and beaten it or whatever. They're not even going to care about your game anymore. They will have beaten it. They will have moved on. And then later on down the road, if, if you know, at the very least, you patch some stuff in, then you can bring an entirely new audience into the game space. And you can, like, reinvigorate discussion about the game. And you can allow more people to play it hopefully get more sales and then you can stay afloat as a developer uh, if you know you choose to go that route and I also you know I mean want to make it clear that it's not like a developer can make a game and then just be like oh let's have one of our programmers programmers come in and press the easy button and then all this stuff is figured out like I understand that <laughs> making an easy mode or accessibility options in a game it probably takes a shitload of time and effort and manpower and you know an entire team behind it and everything so it's not like they can just like make the accessibility options happen but I mean you know it is possible that if the game is successful enough they can work on that stuff post-release and then bring it in later to you know reignite the discussion about the game should they be able to patch it in down the road Totally, totally. And I mean, I think your your point is correct. I mean, there are resources, there's time, there's a human cost in adding all these things. And I get that. And that's totally understandable. But hopefully developers will keep that in mind when they start a program or start a project. And then they will, you know, maybe have some of those things ready to go along the way rather than trying to patch them in retroactively. But at least at least consider them from the beginning, because it's for me, it's one thing to say we didn't have enough members on the team or we ran out of money and I had to mortgage my house to get the game done. I didn't have time for accessibility. <laughs> like, that's totally understandable. But to have somebody say, no, I don't want any accessibility because that's not what my vision is, is what makes me say, fuck you. Because <laughs> if you are intentionally locking people out, I mean, that to me is just really wrongheaded and really poor thinking because adding, letting people in doesn't take away from your core vision. It doesn't take away from anything. And, uh, you know, accessibility does not mean that your core experience is diluted or that it's tainted or that your vision is gone. It just means more people will be able to participate in what you're doing. So 
hopefully people will figure that out. Um, and uh, I, I applaud Celeste for having those uh, options. Same thing for Way of the Passive Fist, which is coming up. And any, any, other, any other game that has options like that, I really appreciate because gaming is great. I want to share gaming with everybody. People should be able to enjoy games. And having a hard game is great, but, you know, doesn't mean that if you can't enjoy that, that you can't enjoy it at all. I mean, there could be uh, different levels of enjoyment for any game, and it doesn't have to all be the same try and die kind of a thing. So I think uh, accessibility is wonderful. You know, I didn't mean for this to happen, but this conversation is actually going to segue perfectly into the next game that I have to talk about. I was just thinking that. We're on the, <laughs> we are on the same wavelength, my friend. Please roll ahead. Yeah, I didn't mean for this to happen at all, but because I played it this week and because we're on this discussion already, um, I have been, I just finished a couple nights ago, uh, Soma, which came out, it originally came out on PC and PlayStation 4 two years ago. It was, um, it was 2015. Yeah, 2015. It was my 2015 game of the year. Uh, full disclosure, I adore this game. I love it. I played it twice. Um, totally, totally am in love with it. I've talked about it on um, actually the very first Game Critics show I was ever on podcast. I talked about this game. So look through the backlog and Game Critics shows and find my first show if you want to hear me talk about it super duper at length. Um, also with Mike Susky because he played it as well. Um but I've been playing Soma again on the Xbox One because they just, a couple months ago, they, they released it on Xbox One for the first time. And the big hullabaloo about their Xbox One release is that they added a mode called Safe Mode to Soma. Because for those who don't know, Soma is developed by Frictional Games, who are most famous for doing the Amnesia games. Uh, they did Amnesia... Dark Descent, um, yeah, they did Amnesia, and the big thing about Amnesia is that it's, like, a scary game where you're walking through, like, you know, an old castle and, like, caverns and stuff, and there's enemies that chase you through the game sometimes, and you have to kind of, like, n this sounds really counterintuitive, but you have to, like, hide from the enemies and look away from them in order for them to leave the area, like, you're discouraged from looking directly at them. And, um, and, uh, Soma is kind of like taking that idea, but instead of doing it in like, kind of like a Victorian mansion-y kind of area, it's like a hard sci-fi game where you play as a guy named Simon. He, uh, is suffering from a head injury. He got in a car crash and he goes into this like doctoral candidate is doing this like brain scan thing where he like invented this chair and it takes like it's kind of like an mri but like of your brain and they can like run program simulations through it and you know to try to like help diagnose and help lengthen his lifespan because it's kind of like a pretty serious uh injury that he had but whenever they scan his brain he ends up being transported into this underwater research facility like a hundred years in the future where at this point in time, the Earth has basically been obliterated by, like, comets. Like, there was, like, a, a comet that hit the Earth that basically, like, set all the continents on fire, and um, it was just, like, a, a disastrous situation. So there, because this research base is underwater, you're led to believe that you might be among the last, like, human beings ever living, you know, on planet Earth in this research base. And so... The research team, I mean, first of all, he has to figure out what he's doing there because you don't really understand why you're there in the first place. 
and then second of all, you have to figure out what the research base, like you meet someone who works at the base and find out that she's working on a project that basically is kind of like a, like the matrix, like where they put all of the people that were working in the research wait, wait, hang, base. Hang, hang on, dude. Well, I haven't cool. played this, so don't spoil anything too much because okay. I've not played this yet. So all right. I'm going to try to be light about this. All um, right. All right. I mean, and this all happens in the first, like, hour, so it's not, like, super-duper spoilery. But basically, one of the researchers is working on a thing where she kind of made, like, um, like a digital ecosystem where all of the people with brain scans on the research base can, like, live in this digital world. And that's sort of, like, their version of trying to save humanity after the comet hits the Earth and, like, life dies out. And I will... Keep I'll keep that under wraps for the story so far. Um, I'm not gonna say you know what all happens after that, but but that's kind of the objective to like find the program thing and find like the thing it's on and try to like preserve it. Um, but this game, being that it's from Frictional Games, is also a it's um, you know it's creepy. It's a first person psychological horror game. Um, a lot of walking around, a lot of uh, environmental storytelling. Um, not not a ton of dialogue, but there's enough, and it's generally pretty good writing. Um, but it has the same thing Amnesia does, where there's monsters in certain parts of the game. There's only, like, five or six monster encounters, and the game's about seven hours long. So it's not like, you know, you're, like, every corridor you run down, there's, like, a monster chasing you. But it does the same thing Amnesia did, where whenever monsters pop up, you're encouraged to, like, back away from them and kind of run away and hide somewhere and try to, like, sneak around them. Because they don't kill you if they see you, but they, like they kind of like push you down and it makes Simon kind of like black out. And then he wakes up in a different area or like kind of an area, a different part of the area he was in. And if you get pushed down enough times, you will die, but it's not like a, you know, one hit and you're done for like reloading your checkpoint from an hour ago situation. But after the game had come out on steam, it did not take very long for modders to make a version of the game that basically deleted all of the enemies out of the game. Because a lot of people thought that this game would have thrived a little bit more had it not been such a scary experience and had you not had to spend so much time creeping around in enemy areas and hiding because it didn't really add a ton to the game. And I didn't mind the monsters because I thought it added a nice little tension to the game and it added a little bit of strategy. And of course, it's scary and I love scary games. But I understand why people would want to experience this game in its story because the story is phenomenal. Um, in a way where they don't feel threatened, you know, 100% of the time, or they don't feel like getting insta-killed or for any other reasons like that. Because scary games are, you know, it's a hard kind of like bar uh, bar of entry because a lot of people just don't like them. Um, so Frictional Games took that to heart and they released uh, a safe mode for the game, which is basically just that. They released it with the Xbox One version. I believe the Steam version already has the patch, and the PlayStation 4 version should be getting a patch this month, uh, which is uh, the last info I've seen from Frictional themselves. And it basically lets you experience the game in the exact same way. The monsters are still there. They're still in the game, but they don't stalk you, and they don't chase you, and they don't um, they don't kill you or anything. So it still has a pretty, like, good added layer of intensity because I'd already played the game twice and going into this game I had wondered if I would still be scared playing the game and I actually was like there was a lot of scary stuff going on still and even in uh because I kind of wanted to push the the boundaries of what the game was doing as I was playing it so 
whenever I saw enemies in the game, I would often, you know, approach them, which is exactly what you're not supposed to do in the original game, and, you know, get close to them and kind of, like, examine them and see what they would do and see if they would touch me or see if they could still hurt me if you get close enough. Because if I remember correctly, one of the patch notes for the game said something about how, like, the care, like the enemies don't stalk you, but like you're still not really encouraged to like touch them because they might, you know, have, they might like touch you back or push you or, you know, do something. And to my surprise, there are still a couple enemies in the game that will like, they, they don't do the thing where you black out and like teleport to a different area of the, of the level you're in, but they will kind of just like push you away slightly and your like screen will flash red. So that was kind of alarming to me. But, uh, I mean, I'm happy to report, you know, all in all, that uh, I feel like the game does not lose any of its, um, like, creepiness or any of its, uh, like, disturbing imagery or any of the psychological horror that goes into it with the enemies, uh, with enemies that don't attack you. Because they're still there. They're still incredibly creepy. The sound design is out of this world. And that includes, like, just the noises that the monsters make. Also the environment of being in an underwater research facility and just hearing all like the cracks and creaks and the drips of the facility and you know being able to get close to the enemies is actually adds a lot of creep factor in it because i mean it's something that having played through this game twice before i had never done because you're not encouraged to do it but you know kind of like pulling the the veil back a little bit and being able to really inspect the enemies and kind of like dare them to like push you or hurt you in some way adds a pretty big layer of like anxiety to the experience if you're willing to go that route I mean, you could totally just ignore the enemies all the way and just run through it um but i i was worried that safe mode might cheapen the experience but i don't think it did at all and i hope that more people will play this game and should they choose to play it in safe mode that that's the route they feel comfortable with and that they won't feel like the game experience is cheapened either that is excellent. That is exactly what I was um, waiting to hear you say, because I know that you love this game, but I also know that your tolerance for scary is way higher than mine. <laughs> and I heard a lot of people say that this was, you know, it was like uh, on their top games of the year, whatever year this came out. And I mean, I heard a lot of positive and I definitely wanted to play it. But I mean, I just I just don't do scary games anymore. I just can't. Um, I mean, not only is my time really limited that when I do get time. I don't want to be scared. My fear tolerance is way less than it used to be. People who listen to the show know I am a famous scaredy cat when it comes to scaredy games. I just, I can't do it no more. So when I heard about <laughs> safe mode, I was very excited because I've, I've been really curious and I actually bought this a long time ago. I think I bought it on your recommendation a while ago, thinking that I would someday work up the courage to get through it. And then I heard that they were having safe mode. So I'm like, oh, perfect. Well, I'm glad I fucking waited then because then knowing that I can't be killed or like knowing that, you know, at least some of the danger is gone kind of made me feel a little better about it. So maybe I would be more willing to get into it. I haven't gotten into it yet, but it's been on my list to play this year. There's a couple of games that I really, really, really want to get to this year. And that's one of them. So, uh, and, and I've heard many, many, many people say that the monsters were the worst part of that experience. Um, not that it made it, um, bad or anything but most people kind of like you said felt like they didn't add anything like they were not necessary and some people even felt like they detracted from the experience so i'm glad that frictional listened to that feedback and i'm glad that they they did something and just to to be clear if you want to go back to the regular experience it's still there right it is but once as far as i know once you select which game mode you want to play in 
you can't switch back mid-game. So you have to be committed in your decision to play safe mode or play the original game whenever you start, and that's that. Uh, well, I think that's fine. I mean, I don't expect people to be able to switch on the fly, but I mean, I mean, basically, kind of like what we're alluding to in the last discussion, you know, their original vision still there. So if you choose to play the original vision, you can go through that and the monsters will do whatever the monsters did. Or there's this other option, which I mean, like I'm saying, is going to get me in. I was probably not going to play Soma for a long time, if ever before. And this <laughs> is going to get me in. It's going to let, let me see this vision. It's going to let me experience the story. So I am one of those people who directly benefits from these um, from these accommodations. And it doesn't take away. The original game is still available to play. So nothing is lost. It's only gained, which I think is great. So I'm very happy to hear that you were not disappointed. Um, I wasn't sure how you were going to come down on this because I know you were a big fan. Uh, but it seems like, I mean, so if you had... If you had both modes, as you do, you have the safe mode and you have the, the vanilla mode, uh, for someone, not me, because I already know what I'm doing, but if you were talking <laughs> if you were talking to somebody else who said, oh, I really want to play Soma, what's the best experience, what would you recommend to them? If they were not like a hardcore horror gamer, like an, an average, average, average person, what would you recommend? I mean, the average person, I would say safe mode for sure, because they're... I mean, it lowers the barrier for entry in almost every way, and it still lets you experience the, you know, the core story and the writing, which I think is great. I mean, like, literally every time I finish this game, I cry at the end of it because it's really, like, the ending is so powerful, and it's really, um, it's just so incredible. Uh, so if it's an average person, I would say safe mode. But if it's somebody that, you know, has played amnesia or has played like alien isolation or like an old school resident evil or something um i wouldn't hesitate to tell them to do the original mode but safe mode is definitely the uh safe option for lack of a better word but you can't go wrong either way i don't think you can go wrong either way they're both they're both good because the story i mean this game this game's bread and butter is the story the writing the environments the exploration um and just figuring out where the story goes. So the monsters are definitely probably the least good part of the game. But I still don't think that, like when I played it originally, I was, like the whole time I was playing, I wasn't like, oh God, I wish these monsters weren't here. Because there are some segments that really ramp up the intensity whenever it comes to like having to sneak around the monsters and, you know, try to, uh, you know, not look at them and try to like duck away and get away from them because there's no combat in the game um but i i think both modes are great but if you're not into that kind of horror experience safe mode is definitely the way to go well that sounds extremely promising and that was exactly what i was hoping you'd say so i am glad to hear you say it so i will definitely bump that one up on my playlist this year i i i, I mean it i'm gonna get to it this year <laughs> sometime this year in the next 12 months i will get to it so thank you for that Corey motley and uh, I don't have anything else. Anything in the last words on Selma before we wrap up? I think I have said my piece. All right. We are over time. So, sir, why don't you go ahead and uh, bring us to the end of the show? All right. Well, we have talked about some games. And now we are going to stop talking about games. And that brings us to the end of episode 69. I need to say the word nice in here somewhere. And this is the best way I can say, <laughs> I can say it. It's a nice episode 69. Um. But remember to stick around after the show if you want to hear tonight's banter. Uh, heads up, we did not do a lot of banter. It was like 15 to 20 minutes worth because uh, we were trying to make the show a little bit shorter. But we did talk about some stuff. I talk about Mardi Gras a little bit, my Mardi Gras experiences mostly. So um, if you want to hear about that, then you can stick around after the show for it. But in the meantime, uh, we are going to get out of here. But 
when the show goes up, remember you can always send us uh, any emails, any thoughts, any feedback, any show ideas, any topics, anything you want us to discuss. You want us to discuss uh, at our email, which is so video games podcast at gmail.com. You can also post those comments on the Game Critics page where they will go up on GameCritics.com. Because Brad, I monitor the email, Brad monitors the comments on Game Critics. So between those two, we will have you covered. And we both monitor our Twitter, which is at SoFideo Games on Twitter. That is our sh- collective show on Twitter. But believe it or not, Brad and I are also on Twitter individually. Brad, would you like to give out your Twitter handle? My Twitter handle is my name, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y. All A's, no O's, not a single O in my name. <laughs> and mine is Corey Motley, also my first and last name. It is C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. Brad, do you have anything else before we sign off? Uh, no, but I'm really glad that we got the chance to do this sexy, sexy 69 show. I didn't say <laughs> nice, so I'm going to say nice now. Nice. Uh, and that's it, man. Let's get out of here. All right. Well, that'll bring us to the end of episode 69. We'll be back with episode 70 next week. And until then, this is bye from Corey. And bye from Brad. We'll see you next time. that whole thing but i'll just (laughs) (laughs) you don't want to tell your dark soul story again (laughs) no i don't want to tell my dark soul story again but it's okay so folks uh, i know you're listening to the banter thank you for listening to the banter i worked basically 12 hours last night and i'm feeling 100 fried out of my brain so we started talking about things before we hit record sorry about that you're going to miss out on that first chunk of banter uh long story short somebody announced a game which is a PUBG dark soul spinoff called egress which i thought sounded cool because i'm not a fan of getting sniped from 10 million miles away And I just thought that was uh, an interesting coincidence because I had actually just made a joke about it the day before they made their announcement. So uh, very, very uh, intriguing coincidence. The universe must have been listening. But uh, that's all I have to say on that. Check, look for egress when that comes out. That seems like more at my speed than PUBG. So (laughs) anyway, um, (laughs) sorry. I feel so dumb. We like totally talked that whole segment and didn't record it. So next next thing you have to do is tweet about like... Uh, like a Dino Crisis remake, and then somebody will do that, and then you have to tweet about taking Resident Evil back to third-person fixed cameras, and then somebody will do that. Do you think you can you can wield that power for me, Brad? I'm jotting it down. I'm jotting it down. <laughs> okay, all right. I'm going to throw that out to the universe, and hopefully the universe will be listening. Yes. Uh, we will get that done. Uh, okay, so anyway, sorry about that, folks. We're going to move on real quick. Uh, just a real quick shout-out uh, for a movie I just watched. My son went over to his friend's house, and so the wife and I had the day. Uh, we had all sorts of uh, kinky plans, but then it ended up I had to go to work. <laughs> I, I literally had to go to work, so we're like, okay, scrap that. Put away all the gear because there's no time for that shit. Let's just go watch. Uh, let's go grab some food and watch a movie. So we ended up not going out, but we got a bunch of Vietnamese food, which was really good. And then we came home. We re- we rented Baby Driver. Have you seen this? I haven't, and I am. This is one of those movies where every single person I know or on the internet or ever in the world is like, oh, this is so good. It's so fresh. The editing is so good. And it is a movie that I'm simply not interested in seeing partially because, and I know it's not a direct copy, partially because when I watched the first trailer for it, it looks like a play-by-play of the movie Drive with Ryan Gosling, which was one of my favorite movies of all time because it's like, the trailer makes it seem the same where it's like you have like 
a white boy driver and he's doing his like last job and what could go wrong and oh of course something goes wrong and now his girlfriend's taken hostage and it's like almost the exact same plot as Drive and I know I know in my heart the movies are not tonally similar in any way shape or form but there's just like something in the back of my mind that's like I love the movie Drive so much that I don't want to watch Baby Driver well that makes sense and full disclosure I have not seen that one with Ryan Gosling um so so I saw the trailer for that, and I'm like, eh, that doesn't seem like my thing. I also saw the trailer for Baby Driver. I'm like, that doesn't seem like my thing either. I was not psyched for either one of these, but the pickings were slim on iTunes that day. And, uh, you know, it's always a safe bet to pick something that's actiony when we just have an afternoon to kill. You know, if you go for something sci-fi, like, it could be the premise is not that great. Or, or if you pick a drama, you never know if it's going to click or anything. And we didn't want to be sad either. It was like, <laughs> oh, we want something kind of upbeat and exciting. Um, so we picked Baby Driver. Uh, and I gotta say, it was actually really, really good. Like, it was way better than I thought it was going to be. I was expecting, like, your run-of-the-mill couple explosions, car chases, you know, pretty standard, you know, basic Hollywood movie. Uh, and, I mean, it, to a certain extent it was, but, like, I thought it was really, really cool because the car stunts were excellent. I thought they were very good, very impressive, and I'm not easily impressed by that stuff, but they did not use CG for anything, as far as I can tell. Uh, and so watching some of the stunts they pulled off of the cars was just like, like, whoa, that was crazy. And also, it was just really neat. Like, I thought the premise was really cool. Where Kind of like what you said. Like, the guy's got to pull his last job. Girlfriend gets in trouble, et cetera, et cetera. So you're not wrong. I mean, you're, I think you're on the money when it comes to that. But one thing that was really neat about it was I didn't realize how musical that, that movie is. Um, that was not something that anybody had ever told me about or had really communicated so the, the soundtrack to the movie is like bananas. And I'm not really a guy that cares about soundtracks. The soundtrack was like super like off the hook, like real good, like excellent, excellent songs, uh, which really stood out to me. But the thing that pushed it over the top was that almost the entire movie is actually set to be coordinated with the soundtrack in the sense that like in a gunfight, like during the movie, like the gunshots are happening at the same time that the beat is kicking off in the song. So like... If you're paying attention to the music as you're watching the the scene, like things that are happening on screen are like ha- happening at the exact same time as those beats. And like in the beginning of the movie, there's a, a song where the lyrics of that song are matching like what he's doing on the street. Like he's walking down the sidewalk or something. And like every word in the song, that's like a big word, like at the end of a line or something, it'll match like what's going on. Like he'll say smile or something. And in the background of that scene, it'll say like smile. Like it'll be like spray painted as a graffiti in the background or... When he, you know, like whatever. So like everything was basically kind of like coordinated. It wasn't like one long music video, but like in certain sections, it really felt like kind of like watching like an action music video. And the, the work that must have gone into it to coordinate what was happening with the song and the beat and the rhythm and stuff. I mean, that must have been like a, a shitload of work. And I, you know, I don't I wouldn't really notice something like that, except for it seemed really, really well done. And once I figured out that was what was happening, I was actually pretty impressed by that. So just from like a meta filmmaking perspective yeah. like I thought that must have been um, it was really impressive really cool must have been a lot of work but overall really liked it a lot I did not expect to like it but I thought it was great and uh, thumbs up to everybody involved in that Really, I do recommend it I don't know how it's going to hold up compared to um, the one that you like because I haven't seen it I can't say but uh, just as a standalone film on its own I thought it was much better than it had a right to be I will say though unfortunately unfortunately Kevin Spacey's in that movie and I didn't really realize that. And Kevin Spacey, as I'm sure most listeners know, uh, his stock has taken quite a hit lately <laughs> due to uh, his his real life hijinks. And it's really sad because it seems like in context of what happened with Kevin Spacey, 
literally every line that Kevin Spacey has can be read as a pervy double entendre, which is really too bad because it it kind of took us out of the movie because every time he would say something, we would immediately be like, oh, that sounds like he's talking about sex. Like every single time. And it just, uh, like it wasn't, it wasn't a good fit. I wish you could kind of like delete him from that film or something. But. <laughs> anyway, so that's all I had uh, for this week. Keep it at light. Keep it at short. Uh, what about you, man? You, uh, you got a report back about Mardi Gras, correct? I do. I, uh, so last week we were talking about Mardi Gras because, um, there had been like some pre like Mardi Gras stuff happening around this around uh, New Orleans, and I had gone to like a a dog parade at that point, which was pretty uh, fabulous because I got to photograph a bunch of dogs while I was there. And so today we're actually recording on Fat Tuesday, which is like the biggest like day. It's like the kind of like official day of Mardi Gras here. Like there's been parades happening basically daily for the past like week or two but today is like this is like it like it's the big day it's where the biggest parades are uh, the biggest routes and i kind of um am like mardi gras out because i've been to probably like three i think like three or four parades at this point um including the dog one and like i just it's very like coin flippy on if I'm going to enjoy myself at a Mardi Gras parade or not because like sometimes if they're a little more low-key it's nice because you're just like standing around and all the streets are blocked off and I mean basically the point from what I can tell of Mardi Gras parades is like the you know they have different crews and it's spelled k-r-e-w-e and a crew is kind of like it's sort of like how like fraternities and sororities are in college a crew is like an adult fraternity where like you pay your dues and you work on um floats and or sometimes you don't have floats you're just like a dance team or something like that for the parades and but most of it is like these big floats sometimes they're like two-story floats that are being pulled by tractors and you know they go through the parade routes and they throw beads and other stuff down at people who are standing on the street and that's a very like simplified way of defining what mardi gras is but from like a first-timer's perspective who isn't really, like, super-duper into it, that's pretty much what it is. Like, you're just, like, standing in crowds of drunk people who have been, like, camped out with, like, tents and, like, chairs, and some people bring, like, coolers full of alcohol or, like, grills or their own, like, porta-potties and stuff because they're literally camped out. Jesus. Like, all, yeah, it's... Some people are serious about it. Like, they, they camp out, like, hours and hours and hours, or they will get to the parade route like hours and hours before it even starts so they can like get their spot you know to get I guess closer to the street or closer to like a good part of the parade route or something and I mean it's basically just like a bunch of drunk people like kind of like falling all over each other and screaming and shouting to catch like really cheap beads that people are throwing from the floats and I mean on one hand like it's fun and it's silly and it's, you know, funny to see people like with like, you know, a hundred pairs of beads around their neck or catching like cups or hats. Cause some uh, floats, they have like special like signature throws that they have. Like one, a crew I think has like a, like a bedazzled bra or something. And they like throw these bras out from, from like the, the, the float and everything. And some people just have like cups or they have like light up little like swords or something. And and stuff like that. But it's just interesting to me because it's it's one of those situations where, like, if you're in the right mood and in the right mindset, it could be a lot of fun just to, like, be hanging around with your friends and, like, drinking and watching, you know, everybody, like, jump around for, like, beads and stuff. 
But if you're not in the right mood, which sometimes I'm not, it's just kind of like it's this surreal, like out of body experience where you're watching all of these people like, you know, jumping up and down and screaming and shouting and, you know, throwing their hands in the air and trying to get all these people to throw beads to them. And I mean, we're talking about like I know beads is like the Mardi Gras thing, but we're talking about like like. I mean, beads that you could buy at, like, the dollar store for, like, a dollar or, like, 50 cents or something. So it's just so weird to see, like, people, you know, jumping up and down and getting so excited about this stuff. And, I mean, maybe if you're a New Orleans native, because I, I mean, I am now, but I, you know, have never been here before, uh, you know, minus a year ago. I'm sure it holds a lot more meeting and it's a lot, uh, you know, more uh, powerful maybe for people who grew up here. But I don't know. It's just, like... It's just strange to me. And like sometimes they're fun and sometimes they're not. And I opted to not do anything today because like the other night, I've got some friends in town right now. We tried to go downtown to a parade that was um, sort of like around the French Quarter, which is like the downtowniest part of New Orleans. And we literally drove like 20 to 30 minutes from my house to get downtown. We drove around looking for a parking spot for like a half an hour and ended up just giving up and driving back home. Cause like literally you could not find a place to park. And the only places to park uh, that might have been open were paid lots where you have to pay like 20 or $30 to park in the lot. And it's just like, it's either you park and walk like five miles to get to the parade route, or you pay like 20 or $30 to park, or you happen to luck out and like, you know, drive down the street when somebody's pulling their car out from a parallel park spot and like hope that you can get in or that you can fit in that spot or whatever. And like, I thought about going downtown today, but it's just like, it's just too much like getting there and being around all the people who are, you know, really like ridiculous and excitable and like drunk and, um, you know, just like over like bead necklaces. I don't know. Like, it's just not, I'm sure if there's any, like, New Orleans... I doubt anybody from New Orleans is listening to the show right now. But, like, if there are, I'm sure they're like, oh, man, this guy's a total hack. Like, he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand what it's about. (laughs) And, like, maybe that's true. But it's just, like, such a weird experience. And, I mean, I'm thankful because I got two days off work. Like, I was off work yesterday. I was off work today. um, Because, like, I guess, uh, like, one of my coworkers at work the other day, like, I told her, I was like, yeah, this is so weird for me to have, like, my, like, uh, you know, Monday and Tuesday off. And she was like, oh, yeah, you've never, like, worked in New Orleans before. She was like, pretty much everybody but people in the service industry have Monday and Tuesday off because, like, even if you want to go somewhere, like, you can't go anywhere. Like, you can't even drive downtown because so many of the streets are blocked off for parades or you have to, like, plan these really obtuse routes to get, like, around all the parades to try to get where you're going. So it's just, like, easier for everybody if everybody's just off work so they can go out and enjoy Mardi Gras or not have to worry about, like, you know, just getting around the city. So it's pretty rad that I've that I've been off work for a couple of days. Like, I got a four-day weekend, which is awesome. But, uh, I mean, Mardi Gras itself, like, I don't dislike it. It's just, like, I have to be in the right mindset to enjoy it. And I, like, literally will not know if I'm going to enjoy it or not until I'm, like, there in the middle of everything. So it's just kind of, I don't know, I'm on the fence about Mardi Gras so far. And, I mean, next year, if we're still here in a year, I'll have to reassess and decide what I think about it when it comes around next year. Yeah, well, keep us posted, man. I mean, I, I've heard of Mardi Gras, obviously. I think probably most people who live in the States have probably heard of it in some form. But, I mean, kind of like what you said, I mean, my only conception of it is a bunch of drunk people standing up on top of balconies throwing beads down and just like a lot of 
music appropriate to the area or whatever. And that's, I mean, that's, I don't, you know, I don't really know anything more about it. Um, so I don't know. I mean, if I was there, I mean, maybe I would try to check it out, but at the same time I hate parades and I hate crowds and it's, you know, like all you're doing is standing there and you get some beads and it's, I don't know, maybe you just have to be like, like in the mood in the, in the frame of mind. Uh, I don't know if I would ever, ever be down for that. I think I'd be more interested in just like sampling the restaurants and kind of like seeing the area rather than getting caught up in the middle of that stuff. Cause I don't really drink. And I'm not like a big partier. I don't like to be around a lot of people. So maybe it seems like not my thing. And uh, I don't know, maybe perhaps not your thing either. Perhaps. I do. I mean, I enjoy taking pictures. That's probably the best thing. I like having my camera in situations like that because it gives me some sort of like agency and objective in the situation. Like I can try to capture it, you know, for for myself or for the people who are there and whatnot. So like yesterday, whenever we were downtown, I took a lot of pictures or I guess it was a couple days ago. Um I took a lot of pictures over to the parade. So that was like, that gives me like a way to enjoy it. And it kind of seems selfish because I'm kind of like doing it for myself. But like, if you're not, like, if I'm not taking pictures, you're just like standing there and watching everything. And I don't know. So that's like one way that I found to enjoy it. But I don't know. Mardi Gras is like, oh, it's it's okay. It's just okay so far. All right. Well, I guess, uh, further updates next year i suppose uh and uh we'll see how this goes but uh we'll put it in the maybe column for now maybe the maybe, maybe on uh, mardi gras yes well that's all i got man uh you got anything else um quick quick mention um just so i can talk about movies for once in my life i know we talked about black panther last week well today i woke up yeah. and patrick had sent me an email and he was like oh i reserved tickets for us to see black panther on friday so it looks like i'm seeing it on friday afternoon Awesome. Is that opening day? Uh, it is. If you don't count, like, Thursday night showings, then, I mean, kind of, it's opening day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool, cool. I am very excited um, hearing nothing but good things except for, like, from one douchebag who seemed, like, hell-bent on saying something <laughs> bad about it. So I'm not going to listen to that guy. But everybody else has been saying great things, looking forward to it, and I shall look forward to your report as well. I will report back. I will report back in a non-spoilery fashion, of course, but I will tell you what I think next week most excellent looking forward to it uh and i think uh if that's all you got that's all i got man should we talk about some games uh yeah and just a heads up for listeners who have made it all because this will be like the very very end of the show that you're listening to right now the reason why we didn't have a ton of banter this week is because i have friends in town and i'm trying not to make the show like 200 years long like it usually is so please excuse our short banter and hopefully because we haven't recorded the actual show yet if we don't talk a ton in the actual show, please forgive us. Uh, but I've got some friends in town, and I would like to hang out with them. So we're trying to um, make the show a little more efficient this week. But next week, who knows? We'll probably be back with like a two and a half hour show, like usual. We'll bring the bloat next week for sure. <laughs> we'll make up for it. <laughs> Indeed. Well, with that said, I think we can talk about games. Let's talk about some games. Ooh.